Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week, we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. We've been working on a message since, um, you going to get it? I was coming, I was coming to get it for, uh, last Sunday and then we're going to finish it up this week. I will get finished today regardless. You believe me? <laughs> Where we started last week was talking about living a successful Christian life and you know, I don't think anybody starts out saying, I, wanna, I just want to barely get to heaven. I just want to make the smallest impact that I can make on this earth. So God has a plan, and that plan is for us to live successfully on this earth, to make a difference, to make a, an impact while we're here. And the way that we do that, we're looking at Second Peter, the first chapter, in just a very few verses, Peter really brings it home. So we're going to read that. Then we're going to pray, then we're going to get into the rest of the message that uh, I feel like the Lord gave me. So, he says this, this letter is from Simon Peter, so we don't have any doubt as to who wrote it. He calls himself a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. When you realize what God has done for you, you gladly submit to him as a slave, as, as his worker. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of God. Again, like I said last week, this is a day and a time. Social justice is a big thing, big thing in the news, big thing in the headlines. I want what's fair. I want what I deserve. I will be the first one to tell you I do not want what I deserve because I deserve to go to hell. No ifs, ands, or buts. Would, if I had died... Before I met the Lord, I would have split the gates of hell wide open. Been there for eternity. And, you know, this is, this is gosh, first little rabbit trail. <laughs> I ain't even got through the scripture yet. I really wasn't seeking God. You have heard my testimony before. I went to church to see this passion play because my wife asked me to. It was the only reason. I wasn't seeking God. And I can attest to the fact that sometimes he can slip up on you and hug you in the dark when you weren't expecting it. And he touched my life and he changed me. If you had known Philip Reed before that day, it was April 1st if you're asking. <laughs> That'll be my, let's see, 29th birthday in the Lord. Come April 1st this year. And whenever he's, he's, if you had known Philip Reed before April 1st, 1990, and after April 1st, 1990, you'd say it's two different people. And it is. Because like Paul says, you know, we talked about it last week. Who, who, is, who does this rest on? Who, who is responsible for your Christian life? Some people say, well, it's me. And like I said last week, that's an awful big burden. If we say, oh, well, it's all God, 
God's responsible for, you're going to blame this on him? It's a partnership. It's, it's him doing his part and us doing our part. And so the thing that we've got to realize is that it's a partnership between the two. So he says that he's brought this. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. I I just can't do that, preacher. Yes, you can. If you partner up with the Lord, let the Holy Spirit work in you, guess what? You can do it. So we've received all that we have, uh, all of this, by coming to know him, talking about Jesus, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Every place that you can look, every chapter, every verse, every line, amen, belongs to you as a promise from God. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature. You mean I can be like him? Yes, through the Holy Spirit. And escape this world's corruption caused by human desires. That's where it all goes wrong. James talks about it. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. The desire to have gets us all into trouble. And this world is formulated to lead you down that path. We are a creditor nation, and we live as creditor people in that creditor nation. Our human desires. We want, 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 want. Oh, my goodness, they've come out with a new one. And we want, 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 want. Just a quick show of hands, very, very quickly. How many of you owe some sort of debt? Pretty much all of us. And if you don't owe a debt, if you don't necessarily have a loan at the bank, guess what? Your monthly bills are coming next month. So you still owe. Because <laughs> we're a month behind on all of our bills. And so the thing that we've got to do is realize that all of those things, the, the pride of life, the, the, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, that's to have, to do, and to be. And you know what? The Lord puts those desires in there. It's whenever the devil gets involved and kind of twists that. Everything that there is there that James says will lead you astray, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, to have, to do, and to be. That's really a godly desire. It's just that it got twisted. And so what we've got to do is realize those are human desires, and we've got to kind of bring them under the umbrella of what the Lord wants for us. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance uh, with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everybody. The more you grow like this, talking about all those things that we just mentioned, the more uh, you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted, nearsighted. I talked about that a few Sundays ago, whenever you realize that all of a sudden you, you, you don't see as good as you once did, and you go get your eyes checked, and if anybody has ever been diagnosed with myopia, it means you're nearsighted. 
And I always, I always put it in there because it's myopia. We, we, me, myself, and I are the most important three. I mean, that's that really and truly, that's the unholy trinity. The holy trinity is God, uh, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Because that me, myself, and I gets in the way a whole bunch of times. Somebody say amen. amen. So he says you're short-sighted, nearsighted, or blind, or com- just completely blind, he says forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. That's what we were just started out talking about. I remember the night I was cleansed from my old sins. Amen? So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those uh, who God has called and chosen. What does, it, what does the first part of that little statement say? Work hard! Well, this is all about grace! Again, two sides to the same coin. We gotta, we got to work hard at it. Amen? Do all these things and you'll never fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, last week we talked about it. There is a grand entrance waiting for you if, you just, if you'll apply yourself to all these things. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though I know you already know them. What Peter's saying, like I've told you before, I know that I know that I know that I know that I've told you before, but guess what? I'm going to remind you one more time. And he says, I know that you're standing firm in the truth and you've been taught. And so it's only right that I should keep reminding you as long as I live. So here's the deal the Apostle Peter is just reminding us one more time of the things that we need to do to live a successful Christian life. Let's pray. We'll get into the message. Father, thank you. For your word, for everything it means to us, for everything it teaches us, for the fact that we can, like David said, write it indelibly on our heart that we might not sin against you. Lord, we don't want to be doing anything that's displeasing to you, but we want to do everything that pleases you. So Lord, just be with us, change us, transform us into something that looks a whole lot more like Jesus and a whole lot less like us. And we thank you, Lord, for doing that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So here's the deal. He says, do everything you can. Do, do diligence. Do, do every, make every effort. According to what translation you're reading, what it says. Do your due diligence. In other words, work hard at it. Make an effort toward it. Put every amount of strength that you have to add, first of all, he says, to your faith. So he's assuming that we already have faith. I think it's verse 5. There we go. There we go. He says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. In other words, he's already making the assumption that you have faith. So what is faith? Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, that explains it very well, Pastor. How many of you have ever read that and said, I still don't get it? Amen. Really and truly, faith is, in my opinion, probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Christian life that there is. Because I've heard people say, well, if I just had enough faith, if I could just muster up the faith, guess what? It doesn't have really that much to do with you 
other than application. It tells us in Romans that to every person is given a portion of faith to be able to believe. So it's from God, it's to us, it's basically an allowance from our, from our dad that we get to spend, you know, back there in children's church, if they're good, they, I don't know if they still do it, but at one point they'd get these bucks. Do they still do that back there, Cherise? They don't anymore. I know they had a store when they were back there. And if the kids were good, they'd get some money to spend in the store, get a toy or whatever, whenever they allow. That's, that's essentially what God is saying. I'm going to give this to you. Now you spend it with me, and we'll see what we can get done. It, it's not truly, we don't muster it up. It's not like if we stand in a strain or we do something special that God's going to do. It says it's given to every person a portion of faith to be able to believe. Now, if we take that, like all of the gifts that he gives us, and we apply it accordingly, and we exercise it, and we do all kinds of things with it, guess what? James says it this way. He said, tribulation works patience. Or in other words, if you want to use it literally, that tribulation, trouble in our life, exercises patience. That's what he says. And so the more trouble you have, the more patience. I remember one time somebody came up and they said, I want more patience. And I said, okay, let's pray. Lord, I pray you bring them some trouble. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait. That's not what I pray. What I wanted to pray for. Well, you said you wanted patience, right? Yep. Trouble, tribulation, exercises our patience. Now, what happens if you exercise? You get stronger. I mean, you know, some of us are blessed with bodies, you know, Adonis-type bodies to, for, to begin with. We don't have to exercise that much. See, this all went wrong whenever I first read the Bible because I read it in the King James Version, and Paul says, I buffet my body daily. <laughs> and then, then I figured out years later it was buffet. I mean, it, tell me the difference. Is, you know, he wasn't speaking French. So I buffeted my body daily for years. So, man, I'm getting really spiritual here. No, just teasing. <laughs> but here's the thing. If we pick up a set of weights and you first, you start out and maybe you get a 10-pound dumbbell and you, you work it several times, it's like, whoo, man, my arms just feel like noodles. And, and then, you know, you come back the next day and you do it again. And the next day you do it again. The next thing you do it again. And then the next thing you do and you're buying a 15-pound weight. Why? Because your muscles grew. And you were able to endure to experience that 10-pound weight, and all of a sudden it doesn't feel as heavy as it once did. And so God gives us a portion of faith. And faith is listed as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes with and lives within us, guess what? He brings with him that fruit of the Spirit in our lives is faith. So we took the portion of faith that we were given, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he can take away my sins. I put my little portion of faith in him, and I say, Lord, would you save me from my sins? And guess what? We have spent our allowance of faith in a wise direction. And then the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, and all of a sudden we're experiencing the fruit of the Spirit and faith. And then 
Whenever we experience the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 talks about all those fruits of the Spirit that we should experience whenever he comes and indwells us. And then we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Faith is also a gift of the Spirit. Now that's super extraordinary faith. To believe in the things that God, only God, says are possible. There's several times in the scripture whenever God says, with man it's not possible, but with God all things are possible. That's the gift of the spirit of faith. How Abraham believed that he would have a child even though he was old and Sarah was old and well past the time of having kids. And God said that it was going to happen, so guess what? I'm going to stand on what God says. Everybody else may say it's not possible. It may look impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we get the fruit of the Spirit of faith. We, we get the gift of the Spirit in faith. And guess what? Great things can be accomplished when we spend our allowance of faith in that direction. So uh, Peter's already making the assumption that you already have faith. So he says, add to your faith, because sometimes we put a period where God puts a comma There's an extension to that. It's not just enough to have faith. He wants us to be fruitful, to be useful. And so he says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, which virtue is one of the words goodness, according to what translation you look at. And that simply means a determination to think and do what is right. The determination, in other words, our decision, I'm going to think and I'm going to do what is right. Yes, sometimes my flesh wants to stick my finger in their eye, but I've made the determination to do and to think what is right. Amen? It is an overpowering. See, there's constantly, again, it's the two sides of the coin. God says he's going to do a part. We've got to do a part. How many of you have ever, and this this kind of overlaps with some of these other things because we're going to get into self-control here in a minute. Amen or oh me. (laughs) But here's the thing. We've We've got to make that decision. I'm going to do the right thing. Everybody else might be doing it Wrong. I'm going to do it right. One of the big things in this day, everybody else was doing it. Your teenager ever tell you that? Everybody else was doing it. Well, I'm not talking to everybody else. I'm talking to you. Sometimes we have to make tough decisions in this life, and that is that regardless of what everybody else is doing, regardless of the current of the, of the present social atmosphere, I'm going to try to think and I'm going to try to do what is right. And sometimes that's the toughest decision you will ever make in your life. And you've got to make that decision ahead of time. Most of the time you can't make that decision in the heat of the moment. Teenagers? When you're in the back seat of a car with the windows fogged up, is not the time to decide, I'm not going to do this. 
Amen? So the thing that we've got to do is realize that God is calling us to that. He's calling us to think and to do the right way. If you think, you'll act. If you start thinking crummy thoughts, guess what's going to come out? Crummy actions. So we got to make a determination. I am going to do and think first the right thing. So that's what he's talking about. So he says, don't just give it a little dollop. Give it a generous portion. Fill that plate up with the determination that you are going to think and do the right thing. Then he says, and that moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge, for the most part, for a whole lot of us, is going to come out of this right here because we haven't spent enough time in it to know what God's thinking. He, he wrote this love letter to you and to me so that we would know what he was thinking. Now, if you had a sweetheart, or you've got a sweetheart, and they wrote you a, a bunch of letters, and you just filed them away whenever it came, and never read them, how do you think that would go? You'd say, what? I went to all the time of writing down everything that I was thinking and everything I was feeling, and you didn't even bother to read it. I've still got love letters that Angie and I wrote back and forth to one another all those years ago. It's been a long time. But you know what? He wrote us this letter, and sometimes the greatest thing that we can get knowledge is to read what he said. Read what he wrote to the apostles. Read what he, what, the letters that he sent to us. Read, read how, he, how he worked in the lives of people that were seeking him. Because guess what? God's still God. And in a whole lot of instances, he still does things like he did before. I don't, I don't dare put God in a box and say this is the way he's going to do it every time. Because you can read that every time he ever healed somebody, he did it in a different way. And so that we wouldn't get hung up on, on systems. That we'd get hung up on him. And so the deal is we've got we've to take that in. And, and this is basically the, the what to. Now, the Holy Spirit, also, when we get into that, one of the gifts of the Spirit is a word of knowledge. So knowledge comes from the Lord. It comes from what he's already written us. It comes from understanding him and praying for understanding about these things. But sometimes knowledge by itself is not enough. You've got to have wisdom with it. That's why if you look at the gifts of the Spirit, wisdom comes first. And it all comes back to this, that sometimes, well, knowledge is what to do. Knowledge is what. Wisdom is how. And they go hand in hand, because if, here's the thing, if you get knowledge, you ever seen anybody that, that, that the, the train came completely off the tracks because they get a word of knowledge about somebody? And then they went and told this person about it, and they went and told that person about it, instead of going and talking to the person that it was about. It was true, but you got to have wisdom to know. One of the things that I've learned through the years, if the Lord ever gives me a, a word of knowledge about something, I go, I, th this has happened many times. I don't know if it's ever happened here, but it's happened to me many times. I mean, during a service, during a worship service or whatever, the Lord would give me a word of knowledge about something. So I would make sure.
I'm just, sometimes the Lord will give you a word of knowledge that's, that's a pretty sensitive subject. And I'll be honest, I, I've always erred on the side of keeping that between me and that person. Always. Now, you've seen it, I've seen it, people on TV, they'll bring the microphone up, well, this is what the Lord gave me, what do you think? And get them up there on the stage and talking about that. I don't think that's what that's for. Personal, personal opinion, that's me. Very rarely would I think that that word of wisdom, especially if it was, now, if it's about a specific subject matter, that's a different thing. But when it's dealing with a person, you got to have knowledge and wisdom to go with that. Somebody say amen. So, then he says, add to your knowledge, self-control. And self-control is this aspect, again, back to thinking and doing what is the right thing. Sometimes, sometimes we let our emotions run away with us. Now, emotions are a God-given thing, but don't run with them. I mean, I've heard people say, "I I just follow my heart. My heart is the problem. I mean, I've, I've said this for years. It's like a bad board meeting in there because there's always somebody wanting to run away with the agenda, always somebody just jumping up, making an idea out of nowhere that, that just like, let's do this. Okay, sounds pretty good. And how many times, I don't, this is not a show of hands, but how many times have you ever gotten angry and you just said, boy, I just let them have it and it felt good. See, you're going by your emotions because you went by how it felt. (laughs) Now, I didn't deliver a word of knowledge there, so. (laughs) And that's what I'm talking about. We've all got, I mean, hey. I started out by saying sometimes I just like to stick my finger in their eye. Get it over with. Let's have it out right here. Let's get it out there and look at it. But the thing that we've got to do is realize that God's got a bigger plan. That we've got to strive toward that moral excellence of of thinking and doing the right thing. Because here's the thing. Before it ever gets to action, we have thought that thought probably a hundred times. And, 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 hey, I don't think there's anybody that's 100% successful with that. I think all of us probably slip off the wagon every now and then on that. But ultimately, it comes down to this. We've got to strive toward it. We've got to struggle. We've got to put all of, our, all of our diligence into adding these things to our faith, that patient, uh, I mean, that self-control that we, that we need to have because it, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's that temperance, being able to control ourselves, being able to control the situation. As, as someone once said, it's not my original quote, and I don't know who it was, but they said, I have often been sorry for my words. I have seldom been sorry for my silence. And there's sometimes that I got teeth marked in this thought here. <laughs> I just love to let them have it. But sometimes the best thing you can do is bite your tongue and walk away. Because here's the thing, what does it accomplish? What, for the kingdom's sake, does it accomplish if you let them have it and it feels good? Ultimately, it's not coming to any fruition. So, he said, add to that self-control, patient endurance. And that is perseverance. 
And this particular word, uh, you, can, you can look at patience as, as two different things. One is the patience to be able to deal with things. This is perseverance. In other words, stick to itiveness. And in this day and time, I think that's probably one of the biggest struggles. We've talked about it on Wednesday nights a few times, that in this day and time, we've got the, the two attitudes of you only live once, the YOLO, and, and then the FOMO, fear of missing out. And no, I didn't cuss there, it was FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. And between those two things, it has changed church world so much. Because with the, you only live once, it's that attitude of, well, it doesn't matter what it costs, doesn't matter where I'm at, doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to do it. Because you only live once. No thought for the future, no thought for safety in some cases, no thought for, I mean, I knew a guy one time, this was back before YOLO was a thing, but he was uh, out carrying on with some friends and uh, got to drinking a little bit and decided it was a really good idea for him to jump off the six-story balcony of his motel room into the pool. Only problem was, he missed the pool by about mm, 18 inches. He only lived once. And it was pretty short. Sometimes you got to step back and take a view what's going on here. Why am I doing this? Am I trying to impress people? Because see, here, here's the thing. We spend way too much time and way too, too much money and way too much effort trying to impress people that we don't even like. There's one person we need to try to impress. We, as born-again believers, we're playing to an audience of one. Doesn't matter what your neighbors think. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Doesn't really matter what your spouse thinks or your boyfriend or girlfriend or however it is, ultimately it comes down to this. The one person that matters the most, who, who is impressed or cares about or, or has an interest in us, and that's the Lord. And guess what? If we're pleasing him, everybody else is going to kind of find their place. Amen? So the thing that we've got to do is have that perseverance, that stick-to-itiveness, steadfastness, that we're going to endure, that we are going to get through this thing, and we are going to, we are going to fit, cross the finish line. Because ultimately, here's the thing, we all want to cross that finish line. We don't want to stumble and trip and just crawl across that finish line. We want to get there and, and, and with plenty to spare. Amen? So he says, add to your patient endurance uh, godliness. And godliness is, is piety, Basically, our, uh, our reverence toward God, our, our, our thoughtfulness, our production in the kingdom, and that, that is us being a, a man with piety. This is in the Roman times, whenever this word was used, it said a man with piety, was, uh, he uh, respected his responsibility to God, country, parents, family, and kin. So that we respect our responsibility. As a born-again believer, what's my responsibility? First off, to grow. Secondly, to be fruitful. And if we do those two things, guess what? Everything else is going to work itself out. So godliness, being as much like God as we can. And then, he says, add to that, our godliness, brotherly affection. In other words, that you like, that's the phileo. Remember, there's three, three basic words for, for love. 
in the, in the Bible. You've got eros, which is the sexual content to love. And I always preface that by saying uh, it's a God-invented thing. And it's a good thing. Okay? Whenever he told Adam and Eve, go and multiply, it wasn't like he went, what have I done? He invented it. It's a good thing. But, like, like most things with the kingdom, it's only good in that relationship, husband and wife. You take the sex outside the marriage, it's just like fire in a fireplace, it will burn your house down. You take fire out of the fireplace and take it in some other room, it's going to burn your house down. And my wife's not here to amen me, but I usually say Angie would also burn my house down if, if I took sex outside the marriage. So, <laughs> but she would, <laughs> trust me. And so the thing that we've got to do is realize that eros is that. This is not in any of this. The other is phileo, which is a most best described as a tender affection. Okay? It's friendship kind of love. And so he says, add to all these other things, brotherly affection. Philadelphia is actually the word there. And, of course, Philadelphia is named after that, the city of brotherly love. It's brotherly love. And that is that we like people. And especially those in the household of faith. Too often, far, far, far too often, this has been my experience in church world, far, far, far too often, one church doesn't like another church. One pastor doesn't like another pastor. View them as the competition. View them as the enemy. I've always gone way out of my way to try to make friends with people in the kingdom that weren't necessarily a part of our church. Why? Because they're, they're our brothers and sisters. And we're going to have to spend a long time in heaven with them. Amen? Now, we have, throughout history, found all kinds of ways to divide ourselves among ourselves. Some people baptized by Duncan. Some people baptized by Sprinkling. Some people baptized by pouring, and oh my goodness, can you believe that they sprinkle? You've heard me say it often. If you are attending this church and you have a heartfelt reason for being baptized by sprinkling, come and see me. We'll take you out there to the water fountain, and we'll just sprinkle you till you look like you've been dunked. <laughs> I believe the reason we do it the way we do it is because it is what best symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Paul says about baptism that you arise and walk in the newness of life. It's hard to arise from a sprinkling. Just my thinking. We don't baptize infants because we believe in believer's baptism. It is the baptism of someone who makes a profession of faith. That's why we dedicate our children instead of baptizing. But here's the deal. What's baptism all about? I heard, to, heard about two preachers that were arguing about it. And one was a immersion believer, believing pastor. The other was a pouring. And so uh, they're arguing about it. And they finally, they're walking by a little body of water there, a little pond. And so the guy that believed in pouring, he just waded out in the water. He got about knee deep in the water. And he said, so am I baptized? Immersion preacher said, no way. So he walks out a little further and he gets waist deep. He says, I'm going to baptize now. 
immersion believing preacher said, no way. So he wades on out till he gets up to about shoulder level. And he said, am I baptized now? Nope. So he wades on out there, goes under the water, comes back up. And he said, am I baptized now? And the guy said, absolutely. And he said, see, it was all about the head anyway. <laughs> Some of you will get that one later. <laughs> That's a preacher joke. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, the deal is, it's about the heart. It is an outward sign of an inward work that God is doing in us. I have often wondered why we find so many reasons to separate ourselves among ourselves instead of finding some point of unity. In the, in the major things, Christ is Lord. We are saved by grace, through faith, and, and, and through Christ alone. Amen? That's something we can agree on. So ultimately, it comes down to there are very few things that I could find to separate myself from somebody else who has already made that commitment to Christ. And we find all kinds of reasons. We ought to all be on the same team. Here's the thing. There are so many things happening in the world today. Christianity is right now fast approaching the most persecuted belief system in the world. Not here, necessarily, but it'll get here. Why would we separate ourselves? Why would we not pray? Yeah, I don't agree with the Eastern Orthodox Church. I don't agree with the Catholic Church on everything. I don't agree with, with every doctrine of the Baptist Church. I don't agree with every doctrine of the Methodist Church. I used to be a part of a denomination, and here's the thing that I found. This ought to be our, our rule for everything we believe. And if somebody believes most of this, I can find some common ground with them. Ultimately, it comes down to we argue way too often about too small of things that we ought, to be, we ought to be able to get with anybody. And that brings us to the final one. He says, add to your brotherly affection that Philadelphia, the phileo, the tender affection, the friendship kind of love, add to it love. That's agape. And that's loving somebody because of who they are, not what they're doing. It is, it is finding some common ground because, see, here's the thing. In this day and time, we're, we're seeing everybody vilified. That one, one side of the aisle can't agree with the other side of the aisle and dehumanizes them. Hey, listen, if we are a member of the human race, I ought to be able to love that person. And because I disagree with them does not mean I hate them. And you know what? It's going to make a difference ultimately in the whole thing. Love. The one thing that made a difference, it wasn't their doctrinal issues about baptism. It wasn't their finer points of eschatology. The thing that changed the world from a few, a handful of believers to a revolution around this world that's still going on today is love. It's what's going to help that person that you work with that you think is just so out there. Love them. It's that neighbor that, that is always on your nerves and always doing something to aggravate you. Love. Sometimes you want to jump back up here to this I let them have it and it felt good. Try not to do that. Try to love. And so this is what Peter says ultimately. 
He said, if you do this, you'll be useful. This is verse 8. Caitlin. If you do this, if you grow like this, you'll be productive, you'll be fruitful, in other words, and useful. So sometimes it helps to look at the inverse of a verse to really see what it means. So in other words, if you don't do this, you'll be fruitless and useless. None of us want to be useless. None of us want to be fruitless. We want to be fruitful. We want to be productive. We want to be useful in the kingdom. And he says, if you don't do this, you're nearsighted, forgetting that you've been forgiven of your own sins. Work hard, he says. And then you'll get that grand entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Again, none of us want to get the slow clap into heaven. Like, and now we welcome Philip Reed. And everybody goes, oh, yeah. This guy slid in there like he was sliding into home plate. Yeah. Really good job. He made it to heaven by the skin of his teeth. You know, it says that we lay up treasures in heaven. How many of you want to get up there and find you got a little outhouse? <laughs> Not me. Lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt it. We used to, used to sing that old song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I, I mean, we want something waiting on us when we get there. And he says that if we'll do all these things, that we will get a grand entrance into heaven, that whenever one day the Lord calls my name and I walk in up there and they say, this is, and now, getting ready to enter into heaven, Philip Reed, and everybody's going, woo! Same way with you. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to it. Amen. It says we'll be rewarded. We'll get our crowns. And as soon as we get them on our head, we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet. Had somebody that, that has asked me before about how many jewels you think I'll have in my crown. I said, it's not going to matter. You're not going to get to look at it very long. <laughs> but here's the deal. All of us, all of us, want to be found on that day to be doing what the Lord's called us to do and hear those words well done and can you imagine what that's going to sound like coming from the Lord well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord